If you have your Bible today, I invite you to open it to Mark's Gospel, chapter number 5. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 5. And we're take, talking today about Jesus' authority ongoing in a message that he is, indeed, he's demonstrating his authority as the Son of God. He's the Lord, and he is the Son of God. And he comes bringing good news, preaching the gospel, the good news. And Mark says it's the gospel, it's the good news of Jesus, uh, who is the Son of God. And uh, he comes bringing good news. Now, folks, there's a lot of bad news in this world, isn't there? But I'm telling you, there's some good news in Jesus Christ. And here's the good news that all the world was waiting to hear, that God loves us. Isn't that good news? Secondly, that God is for us. He's not against you, but he's for you. Not only that, he forgives us. And I don't know about you, but that's good news because I've messed up my life pretty royal and I need God's forgiveness in my life. I've sinned against others. I've sinned against self. But most importantly, I've sinned against a holy God who made me and created me, broken his law, disobeyed him. I was born in sin and I've sinned myself and I need a savior. The good news is that Jesus came to forgive us of our sin. He's with us. Aren't you, isn't it good news to know that God's with us? That God broke into human life and took upon human flesh, dwelt among us, knows our condition, identified with us, experienced life here as a human, and He knows us. He's with us, and he knows us, and he cares for us. And here's the greatest news of all. He changes us. <laughs> Isn't that good news? Tell your neighbor, there's hope for you yet. He changes us. He changes us. I'm folks, this is the good news. We're not alone. We're not abandoned. There isn't some God out there somewhere that wound up the world and let it go and he just stood back and watching it. No, he's involved in our world. He has not abandoned us. And you are not unloved. No matter what Satan says to you or this world, God loves you and you are not unloved. You are lovely in his eyes and he cares for you and he loves you. And tell your neighbor now, if you will, God loves you. He does. He loves us. He came and he's establishing his rule. He's establishing his reign He's establishing his kingdom, and we are his subjects. He is our father, and we are his children. He is our shepherd, and we are the sheep of his pasture. And this is amazing news. But what about our enemies? And what about that great enemy? The enemy of all mankind and all living things. Death. Death is an enemy. The fear of death, of the unknown about death, the inevitability of death, the certainty of death, the enemies of all things living. Psalm 103 verse 15 says, As for man, listen, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, and the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And the place of it 
knows it no more. Well, that seems pretty hopeless, doesn't it? See, your life, the life of a man, he says, is like a weed, a flower growing in a field. It sprouts up and it seems to be beautiful and all of a sudden a hot wind passes over, it dries up and dies and it's dead. And nobody even remembers it was there. Death holds us captive in fear. In the book of Hebrews, chapter number 2, it says concerning Jesus' coming, he says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived lives of slaves to the fear of dying. The reason Jesus came and lived in a human body and human flesh is that he would dwell among us. And while there was no sin in him, he took the judgment of death in himself. And he died our death and rose again for our victory. So we are no longer held captive to the fear of death. To illustrate this, Jesus shows his authority over death in an episode in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. And so I want us to look at this amazing story and some different components to the story. So if you have your Bible, look with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Verse 35. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, and he put them all outside. And he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something 
to eat. Isn't that a beautiful story? Amen. Father in heaven, I pray that today that you speak to us through this powerful story. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to look at some of the elements in this story. First of all, the daughter's dying condition. She was very sick. She was at the point of death, and there seemed no hope. The only hope that the father could think about was Jesus. And he had heard that Jesus had done miraculous things, that lame people were now walking and blind people were now seeing and crippled people were now healthy and disturbed and tormented people were now set free. And so he decided that he was going to go to him and he wanted him to come to his home. He loved his little girl. She meant the world to him. He pleads with him earnestly for her. Hmm. I don't know. You have to use a little sanctified imagination, but it doesn't take a lot of work, does it? How many of you here know what it's like to have a daughter? Hmm. Guys, how many of you know what it's like to have a girl, a little girl, wrap you around her finger? Huh? Grandpas, you know about that, don't you? Oh, my Christy visited, went to see the grandkids this week in Cincinnati, and they did all kinds of fun things. They went to the movies, they went to the park, they went to the zoo, they had slumber parties, they made cookies. And they got popsicles, and then they got seconds on popsicles. My little granddaughter looked at Christy and she said, in the midst of eating her second popsicle, she said, Grandma, what we love is when we ask you, we don't even have to cross our fingers. We know you're going to do it. <laughs> Somebody's wrapped around their finger. I suspect that when the synagogue official's life was hectic, and whenever he couldn't meet all the demands of the people, and he never met everybody's expectations, when his life was harried and difficult, that he came home and a 12-year-old girl didn't care what his position was. It was Daddy. And when Daddy came home, everything was right. When that little girl gave him a hug or sat on his lap, the world was right. He loved her. I want to tell you something. Jesus cares about the people that we love. He knew a love for her as a daughter and a father in a healthy way. There's not only her dying condition, she was so sick at the point of death. The second thing I want you to notice is the father's desperate plea, his prayer for his daughter. Notice in verse number 22 and 23, it says, one of the synagogue officials. Now, what's his name? Jairus. He falls at his feet and he treats him earnestly. Notice the way that he approaches, his approach. How does he approach Jesus? Well, first of all, he comes to him and then he falls at his feet. 
He is the synagogue official. He's a ruler in the synagogue. This is a pretty heady position. He was in charge of the synagogue. The synagogue was the center of a Jewish community. The synagogue was the place of assembly. The word synagogue means assembly. And so it was his responsibility was not only for the assembly, the crowd, the people that gathered and were ministered to in the synagogue, but also the building and facilities and grounds. He was, these were local centers for study and worship and community gathering. It's kind of like a very vibrant church in the center of a town. And so he was the chief administrative officer for the synagogue. That meant he was in charge of facilities, schedules, services, invited guests, lecturers, keeping order and upkeep. He was overseer of the assembly and the facilities. And as this overseer, he was well known throughout the whole town. He had to navigate the teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees, the politics of the day, and he was a deeply respected member of the community, both by Jews and Gentiles. And Jesus has already become a controversial figure. He's been a healer, teacher, and prophet, but he's disliked by the ruling caste class of religious leaders, especially scribes and Pharisees and Herodians. But he didn't care. He comes and he seeks out Jesus, not caring what his status is or what people think. And he humbles himself. He falls at his feet. The Bible says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And in due time, he will lift you up. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He didn't care about pecking order. He didn't care about politics. He didn't care about other people's opinions. His passionate pursuit was for his daughter that he loved. And he asked, earnestly pleaded, not only the way he approached, but his ask, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come. Please lay your hands on her. Let me ask you a question. Who do you know that's sick? Who do you know that's lost? Are you humbling, coming before the Lord? Are you broken over the lostness in your home? Are you broken about lostness in your children and grandchildren? Are you broken about lostness in your marriage? Are you broken about lostness with parents? Are you broken about lostness for your neighbors? Are you broken about lostness for our city? Are you willing to stand and humble yourself and fall at your feet and plead before God? God in heaven, save my family. Save our city. God, give us this city. Give us this home. Give me my daughter. Notice his faith. 
that she might be well. You could actually translate it that she might be saved. He believed that Jesus could change her life. In James chapter 1, it says, Concerning praying in faith, let him ask in faith without doubting. Listen, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man and unstable in all of his ways. When you pray, pray, ask, and believe. Ask and keep asking, and it will be given to you. Seek, keep seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it shall be opened to him. What great promises God has given us. Notice also the Savior's immediate response. It's so easy to overlook verse 24. Look at it in your Bible. And he went off with him. I love that. He immediately went with him. Can I tell you something? He's with us in our journeys. He's with us in our trials. He's with us in our hardships of life. He never leaves us. He loves us. He walks with us. He cares about you. Psalm 46 1 says, God, the Lord is my refuge and my strength, a very present help in time of trouble. He's a present help. Psalm 23 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they do comfort me. Popular, meaningful, impactful song. Moved me to this week as I listened to it fresh. When I walk through deep waters, I know that you'll be with me. When I'm standing in the fire, I will not be overcome. Though the valley of the sh- through the valley of the shadow, I will not fear. I am not alone. I am not alone, Carrie Job says. You will go before me. You will never leave me. I am not alone. I am not alone. I am not alone. Tell your neighbor. We're not alone. In your trial, in your grief, in your hurt, in your pain, in the uncertainties and difficulties and storms of life, you are not alone. And He is with you. That's good news, isn't it? Next, notice the devastating news. Notice there's an interruption and a delay. There's another woman, and she is bleeding, and she has suffered, and she is depleted, and she's bankrupt. And Well, Jairus is a known name. Everybody knew Jairus. She was an unknown name. Nobody knew her. 
But Jesus cares for both. She reaches out, she could just touch his garment, and she's healed, and Jesus turns and finds her in the crowd, tells her that her faith has made her whole. She's been saved by her faith. And it's an, a delay. Can I say something? Listen. The Savior's agenda is not everybody else's agenda. Amen. We want God to work on our time clock. He's God, not you. We've got to trust him. Amen? Now, folks, the news was devastating, wasn't it? Put yourself in his place. Notice in verse number 35, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? The news seemed absolutely devastating. Death always does. Seemingly all hope is now lost. She's passed over from life unto death. The enemy is too strong, and now she's in the clutches of death. The battle's over. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. There's nothing he can do. She's expired. She's dead. And fear sets into defeat, apparently. Oh, it's mindful, reminding me of a story found in John's Gospel, chapter 11, where Jesus there is also delayed in his coming. News comes to him when he's on the other side of the Jordan that your good friend, Lazarus, is sick, very ill. Could you please come that he might be healed? Jesus says our Brother Lazarus is very sick, but he delays two more days because he has ministry. He's doing God's will, not their will. He's not moving because the women have requested it. He's moving at the hand of what he thinks the Father has called him to do. He delays. And after two days, he says to the brothers, he said, we need to go. Lazarus has fallen asleep. I need to go wake him. When he arrives outside of the village over a day's journey from Transjordan to Bethany, which is near Jerusalem in Judea, Martha hears that he's approaching town. She goes out to him. These are the words of Martha. Mary repeats the same words. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. seemed hopeless. But my friends, there's hope in Jesus. He said, your brother's going to live. He, she said, yeah, I know he'll live in the, in the res, second resurrection, but not now. I mean, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yeah. 
It was devastating news. Listen to the Messiah's exhortation to Jairus. He looks at Jairus, and they've heard bad news. He said, hey, bud, look at me. Don't be afraid. Secondly, you keep on believing. Keep believing. The Greek here is, says keep believing. I have a, for, a power and authority of life, and the Father has given it to me. You keep faith, keep confidence in me, because my God is able. Put your faith in the one who has authority. And so Jesus exhorts him in verse 36. You keep believing. Now listen, then all of a sudden, there's this crowd's commotion. In verse number 38, it's interesting in the story, isn't it? Notice he's, <clears throat> he allows nobody to go with him except for Peter and James and John and the parents. And they come to the house of the synagogue officials, and it's surrounded by people. And they're probably well-meaning, but they're weeping and wailing and carrying on as... It's still done in different places in, around the world and was happening here in his home. And, and uh, they're loudly weeping and wailing and all of this commotion going on. And they're making the commotion and weeping and Jesus confronts them. He says, why are you making such a commotion? Hmm. The grief and sorrow seems hopeless, doesn't it? even for us. But that's what the Bible tells us, that we're to grieve not like the world grieves, but we grieve with hope because Jesus Christ has defeated death by his resurrection. Amen. Amen? So we don't grieve like the world does. He puts all of those people out and takes only Peter and James and John and the parents with him into the inner room. Next thing I want you to notice in the story, the believer's perspective. He gives us a new perspective on death. In verse number 39, he says, the child's not died, but is asleep. And they all began to laugh at him. They knew the child was dead. But Jesus calls, he calls death sleep. Why? He says the same thing in John chapter 11. Lazarus is asleep. Paul says something's very similar in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, I don't want you to be unaware about those who sleep that we may not grieve as those who have no hope. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, I'm going to tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. Amen. How is death sleep? Well, the, body says, the Bible says the body without the spirit is dead. And the spirit is with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But the body dies because the body, there's no spirit in the body. And the body is laid in a grave or cremated and its ashes are scattered. And it seems like all hope is lost. But hope is not lost. Because Jesus' perspective is that they are with the Lord and there will be a great day of resurrection for all of us because Christ has defeated death. Amen? 
Amen. Finally today, the master's voice. Oh, look at this power. He comes into the house with the companions, enters into the room where the little girl lies, and she's dead, lifeless, breathless, cold to the touch. And he takes her by the hand. Is that tender? Is that beautiful? And he holds her by the hand. And listen to his voice. Talitha. Kumai. Hmm. In Aramaic. My little girl. My little daughter. Rise up. <laughs> Guess what? She rose up. And her life was changed at the master's voice. I say to you, arise. And she rose again. Oh, it reminds me of the master's voice in John chapter 11 that we looked at, while, that we referred to a while ago. Lazarus is laid in the grave and Whenever Mary comes out, Martha's been out to him. Mary is there, and he talks with Mary for a while, and he says, why don't you take me and show me where he's laid? And she take him to the place, and he sees everybody weeping, and the family weeping, and the mourners are weeping, and he sees the grave and the stone that is there, and Jesus weeps. Why? I think he wept because he saw what the enemy had done and what sin's effect had been, and how we had been under subject to such slavery and oppression. But he came to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? He came to pay for all of our sin. And he looked at Mary and Martha and those who were standing around, and he said, why don't you move that stone out of the way? And they said, Lord, he's been in the grave four days, and there's already a stink. We, his, he's dead, there's no hope, he said, move the stone. Then he prays to the Father. He said, Father, I know that you hear me. I know, I thank you, God, that you hear me, and I'm asking God right now for, your, for what you're going to do. Because God, not because I need it, not because, uh, not because Lazarus is in a bad place, but for these people that they might believe. And know that you sent me. And then he said, Lazarus, come out. (laughs) The master's voice. Can you imagine? I don't know. But Lazarus is probably, I mean, I think he's in the presence of the father in spirit. His body's dead in that grave. And all of a sudden... In glory, Lazarus hears the voice of his master. He said, that's my name. The father said, next thing you know, he's back in that body, and that body's healed, and he comes out of that grave. Woo, wouldn't you love to have seen that? Mm-hmm. That's going to happen for all of us. That's going to happen for all of us. Thank you, Lord. 
Because my Savior has defeated death. Amen. John's Gospel, chapter number 5. Listen to the words of Jesus in verse number 25. Listen close. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear shall live. And just as the Father has life in himself, even so, he gave to the Son to have life in himself and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice. Amen. Woo! What a great, powerful promise for all of us. How can Jesus do that? That's because Jesus is the author of life. He created this world by his own word. He holds this universe in together by the power of his word. And he died our death so that we no longer are under its penalty of sin. And he rose again as the first fruits for all of us. And he has conquered death. And if we are united with him in his death, we shall also be united with him in his resurrection. Hallelujah. That's Jesus' authority over death. Hmm. Well, I'm not always the best hockey fan in the world. But boy, did the blues capture my attention. I see some of you sporting the blues t-shirts over here, Tommy. Riley, I like that t-shirt. Wish it was in my size. Riley, just stand up, would you? I'm going to embarrass you. All right, stand up, Riley. Now turn to the congregation. All right. All right. But Riley says, I'll never sit in the front row ever again. It says Gloria, right? You know, something funny. I was out of town at a Southern Baptist Convention the last game, and I was having dinner with Lindsay and, and Christy after a long meeting, and I got a text from Brad. He said, hey, you watching this? I said, no. He said, I, I, I'm at dinner. He said, we're up to nothing. I said, are you kidding me? So we heard to the motel room, got in there, and uh, we watched the end of that thing. Now, I don't know about you, but back in January, they were in last place. They were terrible. They are written off. They're good as dead, and they're no good. And then when they lost the sixth game here, I thought, man, we lost at home. We're probably, I really don't want to watch Boston's going to cinch this thing. And, and uh, they, Boston's got a great club, great history, and great players. And I was being a bit skeptical. Christy says I can be really negative watching a sports game. And all of a sudden, we stored a third goal and then a fourth goal. And then I said, I think we're going to do it. And all of a sudden, Lindsay starts singing Gloria and, and jumping around the room. And, and the game was over, and it was Gloria. And, and the whole city has been in a, sadly, drunken Gloria for some. <laughs> but come with me. 
come with me. Come with me to a place that looked like we were defeated. Come with me to the cemetery. Come with me to the place where you buried someone's body. You come with me to a place where you scattered some ashes. You come with me and you look at it. They are not there. And he is coming again. And they'll hear his voice. And the dead will be raised. And then we'll sing Gloria. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our victor. So that child that you buried, that grandparent, that mom or that dad, we have hope in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father in heaven. Amen.